Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. So you want your charity to succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success. And practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect place to learn from experts around the world who, along with our host, provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books cover a broad range of topics from major gift fundraising to use of social media and how to succeed online. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you maneuver through this economic downturn in the charitable sector to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. Remember, this is a live call-in show. Become part of the show by adding your voice. Call now at 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Just click on radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to The Nonprofit Coach. Thanks for joining us today. I'm coming to you live from the nation's capital. Uh, It is a a very nice fall day here, and we've got a very full show for you. Don't forget that in addition to calling in for our page two expert today, you can also email questions at tedhart at tedhart.com, and you can join us over in the chat room. I see a couple folks over in the chat room right now. You can ask questions in the chat room as well. For those of you who are familiar and those of you who are new, we always start this show with Page One News. Over here on Page One News, you can always follow along at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, and in the radio links today, uh, you will find a link for the LinkedIn Nonprofit Learning Center. This was announced to us last week when we had Meg Garlinghouse as our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach. We promised to provide that link to all of our listeners, uh, so check it out with all of the information for nonprofit professionals, nonprofit organizations, how you can create your organization's page on LinkedIn, how you can create and join uh, groups on LinkedIn, and all of the strategies that we talked about last week with Meg Garlinghouse from LinkedIn. And don't forget, the, the podcast from last week's show is available at Ted Hart. At, uh, at tedhart.com, click on radio links, and you'll find it with all of our podcasts. Next up here on uh, page one news uh, is just a note uh, from for an article uh, posted by CBS. Uh, and this is an article about uh, the NBA lockout. So for all of you basketball fans, uh, we wanted to share with you, and I'm, I'm, I was pleased to be part of this article. I'm actually uh, quoted in this article about the plans that the NBA have for a series of charity games, some of which have already been uh, played, and uh, I was asked for my opinion on uh, on those charity games. And of course, I you know I think that uh, uh, they're quite separate, but it's wonderful to have the NBA uh, involved. And as I say in this article, the issues are separate and they don't overlap, but the economic value of charity games provides a valuable alternative for those uh, that want to see a basketball game and currently can't, um, especially during the upcoming holiday season. So, uh, so that's a, a wonderful article. Thank you, CBS, uh, for having uh, me be part of that and for drawing attention uh, to the NBA charity games. You can read about that 
at tedhart.com. Now, here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, we always want to make sure that we are keeping you up to date on the most important topics facing the nonprofit sector. One of the very important topics that are facing our, cha- our, our sector right now uh, is possible action on the part of Congress for proposed changes to the charitable deduction that could curb charitable giving. An expert in this area is Jason Lee, who is the general counsel for the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Jason is here with us live on the Nonprofit Coach to bring us up to speed on this issue and how all of our listeners can become part of, hopefully, a solution uh, to these proposed changes. Jason, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak on this issue. Jason, this is a very important issue facing our uh, sector right now, and in fact, I believe all donors uh, who care about the charities that they want to support. Uh, Can you bring us up to date on what's happening in Congress, and what do our listeners need to do to do their part to help support the charitable sector? Sure, absolutely. I'll I'll just give a brief overview, and then I'll I'll talk about what folks can do to to help out. yeah, start off, uh, there's an adage that a former colleague used to tell me when it came to advocacy, which is advocacy is days of boredom and then hours of sheer terror. And uh, in this case, I think Congress has actually flipped the script where we're going to see some days of sheer terror here because, uh, as you know, there's, there's the Joint uh, Select Committee on Deficit Reduction, and they have this November 23rd deadline to somehow reduce the deficit by $1.2 trillion. Um, and that's really driving some issues regarding the, the itemized deduction and, in our particular case, the charitable deduction. But to go back before that, we have to go back three years. The Obama administration in the past three budgets has proposed a 28% cap on itemized deductions, which includes charitable deductions. Uh, that's been in the budget the past three years. The first year was for uh, to pay for the health care reforms. Last year it was for an, sort of an amorphous deficit reduction. This year it was for a three-year alternative minimum tax fix. Um, so we've been working on, you know, uh, opposing that proposal for the past few years. This year, uh, that's been on the table once again, but in addition to that, the Senate Finance Committee, uh, which for those of you who may not know, the Senate Finance Committee is the Senate committee that, that drafts the vast majority of tax uh, legislation. They had a hearing this past month, and not only was the administration's proposal brought up, but they also talked about maybe replacing itemized deductions with a tax credit uh, or perhaps creating a deduction floor for high-income taxpayers, which would only allow a tax break if itemized deductions exceed a certain percentage of, uh, of uh, adjusted gross income. Um, and then now what we're seeing now is, uh, if folks have been seeing the, the newspapers and such, we've, we've seen a couple of proposals from the Deficit Reduction Supercommittee, one from the uh, Republicans, uh, specifically Senator Toomey, who's a member of the uh, Supercommittee, uh, they're talking about uh, possibly slashing or eliminating tax deductions for the wealthy, uh, which would be in exchange for the permanent reduction of the marginal tax rate set under uh, George W. Bush. Um, this is significant because it's the first time that the Republicans have considered limiting or eliminating the deduction. Um, we're still trying to uh, find out if they're actually going to touch the charitable deduction. The Chronicle on Philanthropy reported that um, the charitable deduction wasn't necessarily in play, but everybody we talked to on the Hill says that uh, everything's on the table at this point. So uh, we're not ruling out the the charitable deduction being part of this. Um, But again, this is significant because in the past, especially the first two years of the Obama proposal with the 28% cap, the Republicans were very steadfast in uh, opposing any changes to the charitable deduction. But this is sort of the first year um, and particularly over this past month, the first time that we've heard the, the Republicans maybe um, easing back and maybe not being as, uh, as uh, vehement in their opposition. And then finally, what the Democrats have talked about their proposal uh, to reduce the deficit, and um, they want to use what's called a Martin Feldstein plan. And um, I'll refer folks to the New York Times article by Martin uh, Feldstein on May 4, 2011. And basically it talks about capping the uh, – tax reduction that high-income taxpayers could get um, uh, to, based on a percentage of adjusted gross income. So, for instance, in his article, he talks about if you have an adjusted gross income of 150000 then you could only take a tax reduction using uh, – tax reduction using itemized deductions. You can only take up to $3,000, which would be 2% of that um, adjusted gross income. So, 
all how these much, things would help. How much less oh, sorry, would that ahead. likely be for an average person? I mean, is that is that going to significantly reduce uh, their the likelihood of their deductions, or is that in the average range? Well, what he said for that particular uh, example, it would be a loss of about uh, it would be sorry a tax increase for the individual about four thousand six hundred dollars. Yeah, so that so that, this is this is a significant drain on the charitable sector and the the possibility of having at a time where charities are being called upon to do even more and with further deduction or uh, reductions from government spending likely to even be called upon more uh to remove the possibility of charitable deductions at this time is probably the worst of all times. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree so more. So what can our listeners uh, do uh, to help out, uh, understanding that these are a set of proposals, we're not in those meetings, so we don't know what the final is going to look like, but things are moving pretty fast. Right, right. Absolutely. Uh, there's a, a number of things they can do. The first thing is um, I welcome anybody, whether you're an uh, association fundraising professionals member or not, I welcome you to go to our website, which is www.afpnet.org, afpnet.org. And when you go there on the front page, you'll go underneath, and there'll be fundraising stories. And the, the story uh, titled Take Action, Slashing Terrible Deduction, now on the table. If you click on that link, it'll take you straight to a page where you can send uh, a letter to, to your members of Congress online. It's through it. We have a partner called Engaging Networks, and they've created this fantastic platform where Basically, you, you go to this uh, this link, you enter your, your name, your address, and it automatically populates uh, your two senators and your member, your House member. And the next page will provide a template letter that you can personalize. Um, but it's already drafted. It talks about the impacts, the potential negative impacts of uh, changing the deduction. And uh, at the push of a button, you can send uh, this letter to, uh, to all three of your members of Congress. Uh, and this is for anybody. It can be an AFP member, a non-member, anybody in the public can do this. Um, and just for listeners to know, uh, we've provided a direct link to this page uh, over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Click on radio links and you will find the take action right to your member of Congress, Congress uh, link there uh, where you can complete the information that Jason's sharing with you right now. Fantastic. Thank you very much for doing that. The other thing that uh, we encourage folks to do is, um, you know, go ahead and, and uh, you know, there are a number of people out there who have strong contacts with their member of Congress. If you have that, you know, now's the time to talk to them. Uh, we have until basically next Wednesday to work on this. Um, and spread the word to others. You know, talk to other folks in the, uh, in the sector. Get your, uh, you know, if you're a development officer, get your CEO involved. Um, what we really need now is for members of Congress, specifically the folks on the super committee, to uh, hear from constituents, especially high-profile ones, um, so that, again, that's where your, your CEO will uh, play an important role. And, um, you know, you can do direct lobbying on your own. You can call in. Uh, you can certainly look up your senators and your House member online. It's very easy to do. For the House side, you can just go into the www.house.gov. Uh, you enter your zip code and it tells you exactly who your House member is in case you don't know. And um, talk to them on the phone, talk to their staff on the phone, and also, you know, don't forget there are district offices. So if, uh, you know, you, for whatever reason, don't feel compelled to call your uh, Washington, D.C. office, there are certainly folks back home locally where you can go and uh, meet with staff, probably very close to your home, and, uh, and, and raise this issue. And, again, you can go to our website. It provides um, – especially if you use that template letter on the Engaging Networks platform, it gives you the various arguments. But um, the, the crucial one is that, you know, these, these is, we're talking about billions of dollars, the, the Obama administration cap. There's about three different studies out there. I think sort of the safe numbers, about $3 billion would be lost per year to the charitable sector. Um, if you did the, uh, the replacement of a tax credit, that's a potential loss of $8 billion. And if you had deduction for of um, – say, 2% of adjusted gross income, that would be another loss of $3 billion. So all of these have a, a, a very large impact. And these are, you know, it's not so much the money, just the amounts. It's just that these billions of dollars are critical because these are what charities use to fuel their uh, philanthropic missions, you know, social, social services, healthcare, education, housing, all those essential programs and services. And the loss of these dollars, the impact isn't really on the, on the taxpayer. The, well, the, the direct impact is going to be on the nation's poorest and most disadvantaged who receive these services from charities. So it's very important that we be very vocal uh, 
particularly with this issue being being at the forefront as the the supercommittee tries to do its work. Jason, thank you for drawing this uh, to our attention. How would you rate this uh, potential loss in the nonprofit sector against other losses in, uh, and changes to the tax code in the past? Is this one of the biggest assaults on the charitable deduction in the United States? Yeah, I think that would be the perfect characterization. I mean, I, I think in the past, um, for whatever reason, I don't think Congress would have um, approached the charitable deduction, but, you know, it's different times now. They're looking to raise money from wherever they can. And, um, you know, I, th I think it's a real threat. The fact that we've seen this three years in a row from the uh, president's budget, I think, is very telling. And it sort of opened the door for other proposals, the ones that I've mentioned today, um, which is unfortunate. So, yes, uh, certainly it's uh, unfortunately historic in terms of the, uh, the attack on the deduction right now. All of our listeners today are, are encouraged to go to tedhart.com, uh, click on radio links. You'll find the AFP form that will give you all the information that you need uh, to become part of this, and it's moving very, very fast. We only have a short period of time. We need all of our voices. This is one of the largest assaults on the charitable, charitable deduction in American history. This is part of our culture as Americans that the charitable, charitable deduction has been there. Please join us in helping all charities uh, fight this and make sure that the char charitable deduction uh, does survive. And, Jason, we wish all of you at the Association of Fundraising Professionals uh, success in uh, stemming this tide. It is different times, and we do need revenue sources, uh, but uh, one of them does not seem to be, uh, in my opinion, would not be to do it on the backs of charities that we're now asking as a country to take on more and more for more people that are in need. Jason, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Next up here on the Nonprofit Coaches, maybe uh, uh, another side of the uh, the charitable issue, and, uh, and I have another guest who I'm very, very honored uh, to uh, welcome here to uh, the Nonprofit Coach, uh, and that is the Secretary of State of South Carolina, Mark Hammond. Uh, Mark Hammond has been reelected to office with the, one of the highest margins of victory uh, for an opposed state official uh, in the state of Car uh, South Carolina. And one of the things that really distinguishes, at least in the minds of this show, uh, his work in South Carolina is his strong support for charities and for uh, public uh, charities in the uh, state of South Carolina, so much so uh, to the ethical work of charitable organizations uh, that he, uh, uh, his office uh, puts together each year a program called Scrooges and Angels. Uh, welcome here to the nonprofit coach, Mark Hammond. Uh, good afternoon, Ted. Thank you for having me. Well, good afternoon, Secretary Hammond. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course, uh, we're very, very pleased to know of your support of the charitable sector, uh, holding charities accountable for good work in the uh, state of South Carolina. I had the privilege of meeting your mom, I believe, uh, when I was uh, uh, lecturing in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Is that right? Mother-in-law. Mother-in-law, okay, so I had that <laughs> wrong, but uh, a delightful group, a wonderful uh, uh, a group working on behalf of charitable uh, efforts in uh, South Carolina. Uh, tell us about what you're announcing uh, now in terms of uh, your nominations process, I believe is just starting, uh, and then you're going to be coming back here on the Nonprofit Coach uh, to make your announcements once the program is, uh, uh, is completed. So tell us all about Scrooges and Angels. Well, Ted, here in South Carolina, I want to promote giving, but I want to promote wise giving. And uh, the Scrooge and Angels list here in South Carolina has become a tradition. This will be the 16th year that we have made this announcement. This will be my ninth year, and it's something that uh, we enjoy doing near the holiday season as a public awareness campaign. And what we do here in South Carolina is we pick 10 wonderful uh, nonprofits uh, from not only South Carolina but uh, nationally who are soliciting here in South Carolina that are giving large percentages of their charitable donations to their stated mission or stated purpose. But yet, on the other hand, we also have to recognize 10 Scrooges who unfortunately are not giving large percentages to their charitable purpose or charitable mission who are spending a tremendous amount of money on fundraising and uh, uh, and also spending uh, on uh, uh, compensation and things like that. So we want to make South Carolinians aware that they need to check these organizations out before they decide to contribute 
their contributions. And uh, we try to make that as easy as possible here in South Carolina. Uh, on our website, which is scsos.com, you can search a charity. Uh, you can click into Charity Search, type in the name of the organization, and it'll give you the last financial report that we received here in the Secretary of State's office. And on that website, it'll give you total revenues, total expenses, net assets, and what I added the last couple of years is fundraising costs. And at the bottom of that screen, it'll give you a percentage. And say, for example, if it's 80% or more, that tells the charitable donor that 80% of the contribution is going to their stated purpose. If you see well, .08, that's, that's, yeah, if you I know see that the group that we just heard from you? the Association of Fundraising Professionals has a code of ethics and, and uh, joins uh, you in uh, the, the interest in supporting and promoting uh, ethical um, uh, uh, charities. Now, to your Scrooges and Angels uh, program, we have provided a link uh, to this show at tedhart.com. Click on radio links, uh, and our listeners will be able to go directly to uh, the Scrooges and Angels page where they can search for, for charities. Um, I understand that by being on that list, uh, it doesn't mean that from year to year uh, you've lost that designation, that charities actually cannot have uh, be an angel for more than one year? Well, we have so many wonderful organizations, so many angels, that we recognize them once because we want to share this with other organizations. So uh, I like to tell people that you're not a fallen angel if you're not recognized the next year. Uh, you're still uh, uh, on that list, but uh, we want to share and recognize this awareness campaign, uh, this uh, designation with as many organizations as possible. So it's usually one time that you're recognized on the angel list. But unfortunately, we do have repeat offenders on the Scrooge list. Okay, so you can be on the Scrooge list uh, more than once. And do you find that you do you have trouble um, uh, uh, having people uh, – uh, nominate for Scrooges and Angels, or uh, do you just find a lot more, uh, hopefully a lot more nominations for Angels? Well, uh, over the past one year, we did ask for nominations, and we've gotten a few, but uh, usually we draw from our database because, by law, these organizations have to file their financial report with us or fill uh, a 990 with us, and we use that information that we receive to determine uh, their percentages and where they would fall concerning the angel and the Scrooge list. But this year we made a uh, real effort to ask more uh, individuals uh, from the state to nominate charitable organizations, and we received over 20 this year. And next year, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, tomorrow when we make our official announcement, there's going to be three nominees that uh, we are going to recognize, uh, and uh, we're very excited about that. Well, that's great. Well, what a, a wonderful thing to uh, to do at holiday time to draw attention to the important work of uh, of the nonprofit sector. Uh, we really um, appreciate the work that, that you're doing in South Carolina to draw uh, attention to that. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And I know that we're going to uh, have you back uh, just after the uh, beginning of the new year um, to talk more in depth. Uh, about the evaluation process, Scrooges and Angels, uh, and your efforts as the Secretary of State in South Carolina to draw attention to the importance of charitable work uh, in your state. Thank you for joining us today, Secretary Hammond. Thank you, Ted. I look forward to speaking to you in January. Back here on uh, page one news, just wrapping up here on page one, I just want to remind everybody uh, that you can participate uh, in uh, the chat room. And I did receive a question wondering, how do I get to the chat room? All you need to do is go to tedhart.com, click on radio links, and you'll see that the show is playing live. If you click on that little player, it's going to take you to the page that scrolls down to the chat room. To participate in the chat room, you do need to register uh, to be able to comment in the chat room. Uh, so if you'd like to post a question there, just go ahead and register and uh, ask your question. Uh, or if you prefer, just email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. Uh, you can uh, make sure that uh, you call in today. We'd love to have your call at, two, uh, at 347-324-3080. And with that, we wrap up page one news and move right on over to page two. 
Moss is our page two expert today, and he's the author of The Future of Nonprofits. This is today the AFP Wiley radio show. Uh, the third week of each uh, month, uh, we uh, host AFP Wiley radio show where we highlight one of the books from the AFP Wiley radio se- uh, book series. Uh, Randy Moss is a digital marketing strategist with over a decade of experience in developing, launching, and measuring digital engagement programs that build, that build brand awareness, drive traffic, and increase sales. Randy has been a known expert in this area for nonprofits, as I said, for over a decade, and it's my pleasure to welcome him here on The Nonprofit Coach. Randy Moss, thank you for joining us here on The Nonprofit Coach. Ted, it's absolutely my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to, it's great to be here. I want to talk about your book, but let's start off with uh, where you are right now uh, in the work that, uh, that, that you're doing right now. Uh, in the work we're doing right now, uh, so the book actually is a great representation. Uh, David J. Neff, who is also another fantastic and absolutely world-class uh, digital marketing strategist, he and I put together uh, this book based on our past experiences, and right now he is really applying everything that we talk about through his consulting, and I'm actually working in the for-profit sector, bringing all of my great experience and knowledge um, to a corporation up here in uh, in Ohio. So really still expanding on the basic premises of using social media, using digital channels to engage people and uh, have them do wonderful, fantastic things. Now, your your expertise was honed where? Where 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 did you really uh, start learning all about the things that everybody wants to know about today? Absolutely. So uh, the basic basic building blocks here of everything that uh, we're going to talk about came from my work with the American Cancer Society from uh, 2002 up through mid 2008. And during that period, I got the opportunity. I had the opportunity to really lead a uh, futuring and innovations workshop, a really a center of excellence, so to speak, and we focused very strongly on finding ways to use the Internet web technology to engage our, uh, our core constituents, the people that the American Cancer Society uh, affected and impacted, and really, truly, it was how do we make their experience better and make it the best it can be. And that was really quite innovative for the the uh, cancer society uh, to have an office uh, of of that sort, and it really gave you the ability to uh, to spread your wings. Uh, and if I remember, and that's that's actually the time that you and I got to know each other uh, first, is that you were the very first to uh, to do a, a charitable uh, event in uh, Second Life. Yeah, absolutely. That was one of the very first breakthroughs that uh, I was able to launch, and that. That truly is coming up on close to a million dollars worth of revenue over uh, seven or eight years. And I think the core of Nexus, and this is really what our book is about, it was finding a new opportunity, vetting it, exploring it, and then making it the best possible experience for the consumer, or in this case, uh, for the constituent, that you can possibly make. And it was through that entire futuring and innovation process, which we really detail in our book, that that idea germinated and really took on a life of its own. And it was really that experience and that positive outcome that led both David and I to sit down and say, this is really a valuable way of doing business, and we really have to do something to get this word out and share it with as many people as possible. What what I want to uh, talk to you, the, the, the core of this show always is practical advice for charitable organizations who are looking to succeed. And one of the things that I really want to get to the heart of uh, today in terms of your expertise, what are those things in social media, in uh, Internet innovation, that you see as being vitally important for all of our listeners today to have in mind and to work on to succeed in 2012? Um, Not a lot of theory, but what are the things that that you think are really innovative and important uh, for charities to be uh, paying attention to today? Well, I'm, I'm going to give a little theory, and then I'm going to give some practical advice to back it up, because I think you really need to be thinking about the, the greater implications of every single thing that you do. Um, David and I... And the, and the reason for, for, for you saying that is because they're all interconnected, right? That You have to have uh, a strategy and a plan. It's not just a matter of try a little bit of this and try a little bit of that. But because these things are all interconnected, both online and offline, it's, it's important that you do have that strategy. 
Absolutely. So one of the big theor- one of the big theoretical pieces that we touch on, and one of the things that I always encourage people to think about is the fact that there's nothing static. I mean, nothing in this world, specifically in the digital age, is a static element. You can't plug and play and repeat. Everything has to be in a constant state of forward progress and forward motion. And we talk about some of the really big, slow evolutionary changes to set up in the book to set up the fact that the web and web technology has forever accelerated the way that we do business. And we pick out a couple of trends. So very specifically, one of the things that we pick out is geolocation. It's one of the fundraising trends that we see, the ability to engage people in where they are and find specific tactical ways to try and create events, special events, special occurrences, incentives, gaming mechanics around people's everyday use of their web technology. Uh, there's an organization called Help Attack that does a fantastic job of um, getting people to donate for tweets, getting people to monetize and create charitable events for every single small action that they take. Uh, when we talk to small and medium-sized organizations, specifically regarding digital technology, what we really want them to do is take a step back and say, how can using the current digital technology enable you to do your job better? How can you improve your reach? How can your use of Facebook, how can your use of Facebook fans, how can your use of Twitter always be expanding the reach of your message in every single thing that you do? And one of the big things that we push very specifically is your tactical calls to action. Uh, a lot of the instances we see are people want to do publicity. Well, publicity is fine. But you have to have specific calls to action to donate time, donate money, uh, like we just heard here, like uh, in your previous guest, uh, two guests ago. You need to pick up the phone and make a call. You need to get out your pen and write a letter. You need to open a browser and send an email. It's these calls to actions that we think digital technology is very, very, very good at propagating. Um, that's that's really the tacticals that, that we're starting to advise on and that we speak to. And th- those are those are very important um, tips that, that you bring, particularly coming in to the holiday season and thinking about 2012, is how does this actually work as opposed to uh, just how many tweets do I send out or how many posts do I make or even how many emails I send out, but what is actually working? And, and what you're saying is it's that call to action that really makes a difference uh, for the audiences that want to support you. And one of the big things that we consistently push on NPOs, nonprofit organizations, is you have to start being better at measuring your success. Uh, I think one of the things that we are very, very active and proactive out here in, in, on the corporate side is the, the essence, the sense of A-B testing. So seeing, did this message perform better than the other message? Did this specific tactic, did this specific time of day? And I think that uh, NPOs can do a much better job of sitting down and saying, well, this week we're going to send out our messages on Tuesday, Thursday, and next week we're going to try Wednesday, Friday. Let's see what does better. And then now that we know that one day or the other does better, let's start changing the message, the copy, the visuals to see which performs better. And always striving for excellence and always striving to improve incrementally, ever so slightly. And if you do that consistently, and digital gives you wonderful ways. I mean, there's so many free tools. There's so many ways that you can track how well your elements perform that there really is no excuse for NPOs to just be sending out the same copy, the same content, the same time of day, and the same day of the week. You can always so what what should they be looking for to measure if the, if the key here is trial and test, which quite honestly we all know as good fundraisers is is best practices for offline as well mm-hmm. is that you need to test and trial and get to know your particular audience so that's good advice both online and offline but what what should our listeners be looking for in terms of what they should be measuring sure, and I'll give a couple of great tools so uh, we recommend using um, a URL shortener like Hootsuite. So we recommend using Hootsuite to version the messages and track the clicks. We recommend setting up um, on the backside of the website tracking codes for Google Analytics. We recommend very specifically, Ted, you're asking what to change, to change times of day. I mean, something as simple as sending out emails or sending out um, tweets or Facebook posts or Tumblr feeds 
at 10.30 when everyone is at work versus 11.50 when people are just about to go on their lunch break, when we know, for an instance, we've learned from the coupon industry, the coupons get printed most between the hours of 12 and 3 because those are the lunch hours across the country. So that's when people are going into their personal email accounts and going to diversions. So that should be a time that we should test. Or 6.30 or 7 when you get home. Or even 10 o'clock when people are in bed watching the news and checking their email. Instead of sending out at 10 o'clock because that's the time that it is convenient for us to send. And then again, changing the versions, changing the messaging. We just talked about calls to action. Putting your call to action first in the message versus putting it at the end of the message and seeing what changes. And you can always do that by looking at click-throughs, looking at conversions, all through your basic free Urchin or Google Analytics and Hootsuite. Randy, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we come back, I wa wanted to ask you if you would share with our listeners your three pillars of innovation that you think are going to really make a difference for charities in 2012, and we're going to be right back. mentioned before, this is the AFP Wiley Radio Show. Uh, what that means is that once a month we take time out to draw attention to the important work of the AFP Wiley Book Series. This is a series of books specifically drawn upon for experts around the world who help nonprofit organizations succeed. Randy Moss is our guest on page two today, and he is the author, the co-author of The Future of Nonprofit Innovation and Thrive in How Nonprofit can thrive in the digital age. That is available by, through AFP Wiley. You can find that at the afpnet.org website or through Amazon. It, today we also want to draw attention to the book Internet Management for Nonprofits, Strategies, Tools, and Trade Secrets. It is also part of the AFP Wiley Fund Development Series. That's available on our website at tedhart.com. Click on Books through Amazon and, of course, through Wiley and the AFP Fund Development Series. Check it all out. And, of course, books like that help your staff succeed, and they make wonderful stocking stuffers for your staff during the holidays. We're going to head right back on over to Randy Moss and page two. find um, when you talk about innovation, people think that, uh, well, that costs money, uh, or I don't have expertise, or I don't know uh, how to innovate, so I'm, I'm just going to continue doing what I've done. Uh, you've created three pillars of innovation that I think help organize um, charitable uh, managers thinking around this topic of innovation. Can you go through those with us and, and tell us practically how they can make a difference for charities in 2012? Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to start just the three pillars of innovation that we've laid out are awareness, structure, and staffing. And so I'm going to talk just briefly about each, give you a sense of what we mean and define them, and then maybe give one or two little uh, examples. So from an awareness standpoint, we really look at awareness as two sides of a coin. Um, the first is inbound. The second is outbound. So from an outbound side, we really say that awareness is more than just brand recognition. Uh, awareness literally can be advertising. And we really encourage NPOs to stop looking at advertising as a dirty word and to start looking at advertising as a way to uh, invest. Really now, Randy, let's take a little bit of a, of a timeout because I think that, that that topic is an important one that, that you're raising. Can, can you give us a little bit of information about how advertising might be done online? Absolutely. So when you look at uh, online at online advertising, you're looking at a couple of different ways, a couple of different channels we look at. Um, David and I have seen really the fundamentals of good advertising is you have to have something to come back to. Um, we don't recommend people advertising as a blanket message, just, hey, this is who we are and this is what we do. And we really recommend advertising specific fundraising investment opportunities. So when we say investment, we really are trying to, uh, in your advertising, say, hey, we're not just asking you for money. 
We're asking you to make a difference, and here are tangible things that your donations will do. It's not just a blanket ask. It's really tied to something that's tangible and results-oriented. And we found that when people say, hey, your specific donation, and you can do this through either Google AdWords as you advertise going back to uh, a really good high-quality landing page, a donation landing page on your website. You can advertise this on pre-roll on specific YouTube videos or types of YouTube videos. You can advertise through your Facebook fan base. You can advertise on Facebook. Um, we're really talking about driving people to a spot where they can take immediate action and make an impact and simply tie that impact to an outcome. And that's a little bit different approach that we've seen in the NPO world where people say, hey, you know, we're the federation and we do this, or we're an organization and this is what we do. No, say, this is exactly, you're going to invest in a piece of medical equipment. You're going to invest in a specific van for a Meals on Wheels program. Those are the kinds of things that we find in our online advertising are much more effective because it catches attention. Now, now, Randy, I keep I keep hearing this theme from you, this theme, this theme on on the use of social media. In in and now you're talking about in advertising, whether it's you know uh, Google AdWords or Facebook advertising or, or LinkedIn advertising. Be specific. Be specific about the ask. Um, and I think a lot of charities are sort of a little bit more familiar with kind of beating around the bush. We're good people, and gee, wouldn't you want to support us because we're good people? And maybe overall we're not so good at that specific ask. Why is it so important when you're coming online to have a specific ask? Um, based on the conversations that we've had when we talk both uh, a little bit to donors and to organizations, it that specific ask it's either going to sit in the wheelhouse of the donor or it's not. And it's we find that it's much better to try for the specific ask because you'll connect emotionally and intellectually with individuals and say, you know, while I like the mission of the organization, I'm really interested in outcomes. And I think that the sense of outcome-oriented donation is becoming much more pervasive. And, in fact, we're seeing this trend in major gift donors you know, major gift donors, they like the mission, but what they really would like to see and know, and it's not restricted giving, don't get me wrong, this is not restricted giving, okay? This is outcomes-oriented giving, saying your donation will be directly tied to this kind of a, of a capital investment. And that's why we do capital campaigns. You're giving towards... And is the reason why that works, that, that that strategy is so important when it comes to the Internet, social media, because it is much more action-oriented and it is much more immediate... That, that when someone sees that ad, when they receive that email, that's when they're likely to take the, uh, uh, take the action as opposed to sort of setting aside and coming back and thinking about it. It's that immediate response to need. And, and it's the immediate response to action. I mean, if there's an ad that you're asking someone to donate to a specific thing, if they click on that ad, you've caught their attention and you are going to get an instant response. The donation process is moments. It's click to add, fill the form, enter credit card, send. This isn't a solicitation in the mail where you have it, you, it sits on your desk, you contemplate it, or you get the phone call and you say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and talk to my wife or my husband or my significant other or my estate about this. I'll call you back. This is instantaneous. And so you have to have a very clear, crisp, and concise message to tie that request to that outcome. So I, I jumped ahead and, and had you take a, a detour on the advertising issue because I thought it was so important. But I do want to make sure that we cover the three pillars. So sure. let's uh, let's move on with the, your, the remaining pillars of innovation. Sure. Well, the other side we say of awareness is the inbound awareness. And so the one wonderful thing about social media and digital is you have the ability to scrape millions and billions of pieces of unsolicited content for message and trends. So what we recommend organizations do is make a very small investment, or in some cases, if you're using a, a tool like TweetDeck or Hootsuite, start to create searches for specific keywords that are pertinent to your mission, and use that as two things. Number one, gut check that you're doing the right thing, and number two, you can also use it to scan for people who are in need of the services that you or your organization provide. And I think it's a wonderful way for new business acquisition, and it's also a wonderful way to as I said, the gut check that the things that you're doing in your sector and driving your mission are really resonating 
with the general population as these conversations happen. So that's how we look at awareness. Part of the other thing, uh, I think the biggest message we really want to emphasize here is you have to get your head up out of your cube. You know, the biggest complaint we hear is that NPO staff are busy working. We're working really hard. Well, it's important to work really hard, but it's even more important to take a step back, pick your head up, look around and do an environmental scan. And part of using social media and that awareness tool, it allows you to do that pretty effectively and really efficiently. And, and and services like Twitter and, and services like that allow you to reach out to audiences of people who want to connect with you, but also uh, through the, the use of hashtags and keywords, uh, find people that care about what you care about and you never knew they existed. Exactly right. And allows you to find those people and make direct contact with them and say, I hear your need and I can help. We have a very simple uh, email question that just came in, so I'm going to let you uh, sort of uh, decipher uh, this, Randy. Uh, it comes in from uh, uh, Pat in uh, Jacksonville, uh, and she just, uh, I, I guess she, uh, is, uh, is saying um, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+, Plus? question mark. Facebook, LinkedIn, Google+. Google Plus. All right, so Pat, um, two things. If you uh, make your way over to Atlantic Beach, there's a great little oyster bar called Sliders. Um, go ahead and give them a hello for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, ga I'm gathering that's in Jacksonville. <laughs> Jacksonville, hopefully Jacksonville Beach, Florida. Um, second thing, Facebook, LinkedIn, Google Plus, uh, D, all of the above. But you need to make sure that you message and version and understand the constituency that you're dealing with in each of these different groups. And that's going to take some effort, and it's going to take energy on your part. Um, people are going into different social networks for different reasons. I mean, we're really creating managed schizophrenia here. People go to Facebook to share baby pictures. They're going to LinkedIn to find jobs. They're going to Google Plus to share everything else that they're not sharing on Facebook or possibly sharing everything on Facebook again in Google Plus in a different way. So, Pat, I think what you need to do is take a moment to learn about how the people that are already connected to your organization are using these tools and then communicate to them in the way they want to be communicated to. I think that's important advice that, that you just uh, gave, uh, gave Pat, and that is not starting anywhere except for where your people already are. In other words, be on Facebook, be on Twitter, be on LinkedIn, be on Google+, uh, but start connecting with your donors, with your colleagues, and find out where where is your audience right now and build upon what you have as opposed to starting with a blank piece of paper. And that's really the key. So it may be, uh, depending on the kind of organization, uh, it may be that there is a stronger strategy for you on one platform or another. Uh, but the, the smart thing is to really do an environmental scan and to know what's going on on each of those platforms for topic areas and for your specific donor base. You need to be aware, and that's the first pillar. I mean, that, that, that right there speaks exactly to it. That's the first pillar. Randy, I, I know that you've got an interesting story about uh, the how this book came together. I want you to share that. We're just going to uh, give a quick reminder here. Uh, we'll be right back, but I want you to share that story with our listeners when we come back. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Randy, we're back. I, I know you've got an interesting story. Tell us how this book came together. Well, um, I think the listeners would really be interested to know that you actually played a, a critical role in this book coming together. So uh, many, many, many moons ago, Ted approached uh, David Neff and I to write a chapter uh, for one of uh, for the most re your most recent publication. And uh, we sent it over. Uh, we were really proud of it. And Ted called us about six weeks after we submitted the chapter and said, guys, I have good news and bad news. So the good news is is that we loved, loved, loved what you laid out, which really is the three pillars of innovation. The bad news is is that we're not going to put it in the book because we want to give it over to Wiley to see if you guys can turn this into a full, full-fledged book. And uh, David and I were absolutely taken aback. We were really appreciative and grateful. So 
Ted in a roundabout way, thank you for not putting us in your book because this, this, this <laughs> well, I, it's never easy to uh, to share that. But it, but but the the draft was so well done and so comprehensive that uh, we we honestly felt that it was going to get lost. And and, and we're you know we love having uh, great content in our books, uh, but we really felt that you had a voice that needed to uh, to be heard. And that we were thrilled that Wiley picked that up. Well, I, I'm, I'm very, very appreciative. Thank you very, very much for this opportunity. And one of the other—it's a terrific, it's a, a terrific book that uh, that you have. But you, you are sort of the guru of innovation for uh, for nonprofits. So as such, even though you're talking about change and innovation um, as a concept for charities, and we really want to make that concrete for 2012, what do you see as the future of fundraising um, for? Uh, organizations use use of technology um, so even beyond you know the changes that might make may, may be made uh, by charities in 2012 what do you see the future beyond that I mean wh- wh- what's the direction of fundraising um, in the United States and around the world sure well uh, I think the fun the so the direction of fundraising in the US and around the world is a very large question mark we know that it's going digital but the fun interesting scary part is we don't know how it's going to go digital. We don't know what the next digital iteration and digital innovation in the technology sector is going to be. But the one thing we do know is that we need to be prepared to identify it and to leverage it almost immediately. And part of um, part of being an innovative organization is having a fantastic innovative structure. And this really ties back into the second pillar. So the, the structure element is going to allow an organization to do exactly this. So here's your awareness and here's your structure. Awareness, we see a new technology tool come out. You know, Twitter is a, Twitter is a fantastic example. If everyone on the call had been at that South by Southwest event where they launched Twitter, or if they had been reading the blogs that talked about the Twitter launch at South by Southwest, and they would have had a structure to say, okay, here's a new interesting idea. We need to go and make an official review, a consideration. We put it into an innovation pipeline and work it through, work it through our questions and work it through our business models. Does this have value? Then a lot of organizations would have been on Twitter raising funds earlier. So in the future, and we're talking the next couple of years, we see a couple of major, major technology changes. The first is the complete and total elimination of privacy. Privacy is gone. How does an NPO adapt to this reality, both on the protection? Say, say, say that. Say that again, because what, what you just said scares uh, the willies it, out of just about everybody. The it, privacy it, is gone. And it I mention that when I when I'm I'm lecturing, I say, you know, the the only thing that's private is something you don't put online. And I can and we completely agree. So privacy online is completely shot, but that provides an opportunity, and the opportunity is exactly what we talked about before. The opportunity is not is to find individuals that need your assistance and are aligned to your mission and have self-expressed it, not through a survey, not through a direct response, not through an advertising, organically have said, I am somehow in need or aligned with the mission of your organization, to then go out and connect with them. I mean, to have a direct conversation and say, hey, um, I do this and you've mentioned that you have a direct interest in this how can we work together how can i help you what's this what's the need i can i can fulfill for you and that's a great constituent development practice um you asked where fundraising is going fundraising is going more granular um individuals are finding ways to use fundraising platforms to really connect with smaller and smaller social circles uh the one thing i love one of the great uses right now is the Movember project, if you're familiar with Movember. Yeah, we, we just highlighted that and had uh, one of the top executives, well, actually the, the top executive from the U.S., uh, mm-hmm. Movember, on last week's show. And so what we find is so fantastic about Movember is that uh, it really enables the individual fundraiser to make the experience their own and to make it hyper-relevant to their very, very first circle of people they're going to raise funds from. And traditional fundraising doesn't afford you that. Paper, you know, brick-and-mortar paper fundraising doesn't allow you to hyper-customize the experience to your own niche first circle. 
And in fact, it doesn't even allow you to hyper-customize your experience to two or three niche circles. And, and, that, and that really is one of the, the most important things for people to take forward when they think about innovation is, you know, I think a lot of uh, charities, they look at, you know, 800 million people on, on, uh, on Facebook and they think, wow, you know, even if just a few of those people accidentally made a gift to me, mm-hmm. uh, I would raise a lot of money. But that's not how it works. And, and I, I point out, you know, I Facebook, therefore I fundraise is not a, a true statement. And I think what you just said is the reason why it's not a true statement, because it really is about being more focused on those who support you as opposed to that, that how big is the list um, and how can I get a few to give. And I think that if you look at it's community-based fundraising, right? Community-based fundraising is really how a majority of the dollars we in this industry raise. It is through personal connections. So what has the social network done? It has done nothing but amplify and supercharge our ability to, A, manage more connections. I mean, we're basically beating the Dunbar number over the head with a club with, a, with social network tools, right? We are hyper-effective and hyper-efficient now because we can manage hundreds and hundreds of social connections. We can better, grant, on a granular level, understand why we have connections with individuals, and we can empower individual fundraisers to go after that connectivity and make the most of it. And I think that's where digital fundraising is really going to take flight when we get around to creating hyper-customizable tools for the fundraiser, not for right. the person that's making the donation. Get, get, getting to the concept of people-to-people fundraising, mm-hmm. which is the, the charity-inspiring action but getting out of the way and letting their donors uh, do the talking. And that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. And part of, and if I can tie this back into the third pillar, it's staffing. I mean, staffing is going to be the way that you get your organization from 20th to 21st century. And it's not necessarily the people that you hire. It's the right people in the right positions. And it doesn't have to be a staff member. It really can be finding the volunteers, finding the donation creators, empowering them with knowledge and the correct tools to make them the most efficient. And really, Ted, in a lot of instances, we've talked with NPOs and we've looked at their staffing and org charts and made real strong recommendations that say, you know, you need new titles, you need new roles, and you frankly need new people because your traditional fundraiser is not comfortable, versed, or capable of teaching donors and individual fundraisers on how to use high technology to reach out to their personal networks and raise dollars. And that's okay. I think that for a lot of organizations, what the future will bring is um, instead of having a chief fundraising officer, having a chief inspiration officer uh, whose job it is to inspire that army of people that that, uh, can be inspired to support their charity. And and I've, I've seen titles of chief engagement officer and chief digital engagement officer because their job is really to do nothing more than cheerlead and customer support individual fundraisers. That's your job. Randy, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us today and, and more importantly for authoring such a, a terrific book with David Neff. Uh, it, it is everything that I had hoped it would be when I first saw the, uh, the draft uh, of the chapter, and you really uh, brought that all together with the three pillars of innovation and helping people really understand the importance. We're almost out of time, so please uh, wrap us up here by letting my audience today know how they can reach you. Absolutely. Um, so if you are interested, feel free. You can uh, tweet at me at, at Randall C. Uh, you can go and uh, read a little bit more and learn a little bit more about the book at thefutureofnonprofits.com. Uh, and you can email me personally at moss, M-O-S-S, dot Randall, R-A-N-D-A-L, at gmail.com uh, with any follow-up questions. And I'm uh, happy to do my best to answer them as quickly as I can. Randy, thank you again for making something that can be a bit esoteric and can be a little bit difficult for folks to understand how important innovation is to the future of this of their organizations. Because without innovating, many of the uh, the key aspects of what we talked about today uh, will be left behind for the charities who are going to. Well, thank you for here. having me. So, today. Randy, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. That is our show. Uh, we do not have a show for you next week uh, because of the Thanksgiving week holiday uh, here in the United States. So we urge you to listen to our podcast and to join us back here the following week here on the Nonprofit Coach. We'll see you then.
You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.